Welcome to The Daily Cut, the podcast of Park Community Church. I'm Trevor Lovell, a pastor from our Near North location. Throughout this season, we wanted to create something consistent that would help add even a little sense of rhythm to life. So we created The Daily Cut, short biblical devotionals that we post on a regular rhythm and that we hope encourage and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. This is The Daily Cut, and I'm Trevor Lovell. All right, it's good to be with you all. I hope you've been enjoying our series through the Minor Prophets here. We are quickly coming to the end of it as we are gonna actually round out the collection uh, with the last three episodes this week. And today... Uh, we're starting those last three as we look into the book of Haggai specifically, which is a short one, just two, cha- just, uh, two chapters. And we are going to be looking at a portion of the second one. Chapter two, verses one to nine uh, is where we're going to be hanging out and kind of exploring today. And so looking forward to it. But before we jump into the passage itself, there's actually quite a bit of context that we need here uh, just to actually get a sense of what's going on in our passage. And so uh, let's just kind of take a little bit of time and we'll work our way up to the passage itself. This is, um, this is the context. So the book of Haggai actually comes pretty late in the storyline of the Old Testament. This prophet Haggai, he prophesied in Jerusalem, the main capital city of Israel. And he did so after the people of Israel returned uh, to, to Israel, to the land of Israel from exile. And so in Israel's history, there was a point where this superpower known as the Babylonian Empire came and they essentially sacked Jerusalem. They destroyed the city and they carried off the people of Israel. They carried them into exile, right? In, in, in the, into the Babylonian Empire. That happened in 587 BC. And then over the course of about 70 years, the Babylonian Empire collapsed and they fell from power only to be replaced by the Persian Empire uh, that they then went on to become the ruler of the known world, uh, ruling over everyone, including the Israelites who were still in exile. Uh, But with this change in leadership, a difference in policy came with these new rulers. And so it was about 520 BC uh, that this change in policy came. And basically what it allowed is that the Israelites who wanted to, they were allowed to return back to Israel. They could go back to Jerusalem, to their cherished city that had been lying in ruins for almost 70 years. And so many of them do return under the leadership of a guy named Zerubbabel, uh, and then also this high priest by the name of Joshua, which both of them are mentioned in uh, the the book of Haggai. We also read about that in the book of Ezra, uh, book of Ezra in chapters one through six. And so all these people they come back under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Joshua. And the city is literally in ruins, right? It's still, uh, nothing's been done to it since it was devastated back in 587 BC. And so there aren't any walls around the city. The temple has been completely destroyed. They, They don't even have homes there to live in. And so when they get there, immediately they begin rebuilding the city and making a home for themselves there. And it's in that context that the prophet Haggai comes forth in the midst of these rebuilding efforts. Because what we see earlier in Haggai, remember we're gonna be looking at chapter two, what we see earlier in chapter one uh, and what God calls him to challenge the people of Israel on is that in the midst of these rebuilding efforts, they're spending all of their time, all of their resources and all of their intention. They're spending all of that on building these lavish and beautiful homes for themselves. They're pouring everything into that while the temple of God still lies in ruins. 
The point is they haven't made it a priority to rebuild and invest in the temple, which is the house of God, which is an incredibly important thing for them. And so Haggai challenges them on that. And he also spells some things out for them. He says to them, the reason your crops have been failing the, the reason the weather's been terrible, the reason you aren't getting anything out of all of your work and toil is because of this. You've neglected the house of God, right? You're building these lavish and beautiful homes for yourselves while you're neglecting the temple of God. Right? That's the message that Haggai delivers to them. And so he, he's actually drawing back to these, the, these curses, these blessings and curses that are laid out in Deuteronomy 28 uh, for the people of Israel and whether or not they lived according to covenant faithfulness or disobedience. And so this, uh, the crops failing and, and not getting much of a return on those, he's drawing on that from Deuteronomy 28. He's explaining that you not rebuilding the temple is the equivalent of basically not being faithful to the covenant. And that's why you're experiencing these things. And so he's calling them uh, to, to basically put their work and put their effort into serving God and honoring God uh, and living in a way that is faithful to the covenant that God has made with them by rebuilding the temple of God. And the book goes on to record how they actually did hear his message and they respond to it positively. They repent and immediately they set to building a new temple and they build a new one. But it's right here in the context of this new temple that's being built that our passage comes into play. And something really interesting happens because they've gone about 70 years, which means among the people that are in Jerusalem now, uh, since it's been about 70 years since they were carried off into exile, the, those who have returned now, there's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, there's some for whom they were born in the midst of exile, and this is their first time coming to Israel, to Jerusalem, first time seeing this this temple. Right? The, the new temple that's being built is the first one they've ever seen. They have no idea what the old one was, what it looked like, how big it was, how impressive it was, except for the stories of others that they've heard. And so they're excited about this new temple and the work that they're doing. But then there are also those who remember the old temple, those who were still alive when they were children, who saw Solomon's temple, which in comparison to this new one was huge and, and magnificent. And it was this incredible structure. And so they see this new temple and for them, it's just absolutely deflating. It's just defeating because the thing is, this new temple doesn't even compare to what the old temple used to be. It doesn't even come close. And it's in that context that our passage comes into play as Haggai responds to the deflated feelings that the people have about this new temple. And this is what he says in chapter two, starting at verse one. All right, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, which that's just given us the timing uh, for when this comes. And if you compare that with the first chapter, you see that, that this message comes one month after the first message, which is Haggai's initial critique. All right, so in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the, uh, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people and say, who is left among you? who saw this house in its former glory. How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. 
my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Amen. So that is our passage. And so the message is, what God is saying through Haggai is that the temple might not seem like much now. It might seem like the glory days are all in the past, but I'm telling you, the glory in the days ahead will surpass those of yesterday. The glory that is to come to this temple will far surpass any grandeur it had in the days of Solomon. It's a message of hope that is proclaiming a bright future for the temple and for the people of God. And where that gets to be a truly incredible message, uh, and when we do some biblical theology, and where that gets to be a truly incredible message is when we do a little bit of work in, in the realm of biblical theology, and we recognize that while this passage is talking about the temple of God, in the New Testament, one of the things we see is that the church actually becomes the temple of God. Jesus refers to himself as the temple, right? He says, uh, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days, referring to himself dying on the cross and then rising again from the grave. And one of the things we see in the gospel is that we are united to Jesus Christ in that. And so we are united to him. He's the cornerstone, the foundation of the temple, and we are united to him. And so collectively we become the temple of God. That's what we see in the New Testament. The church is the glory that is being prophesied about here back in Haggai, where people from all nations will come and are united to Jesus Christ and receive peace, right? All the things that this is prophesying about, we see that those things come true in the life of the church, right? And what I think is really special about this passage, right, is those things are great, but what I think is really special is that there are times in our experience with the church where no matter how great the church is theologically, no matter how much we can look at that and study it and see that the church is this incredible thing that God loves, that God has built and designed, and it has a bright and a beautiful future. We know all of that's true, but even so, I think it's true to say that at times, our experience with the church can sometimes be a little bit lackluster. I think there are times where our experience with the church causes us to feel in a way that's similar to the people here, where with them, they're looking at the temple and they're deflated because they, they think that it doesn't compare to the glory that it had in the past. It, it just is deflating for them. And I think with us, sometimes we see our own experience with the local church that we happen to be a part of. And, um, you know, sometimes our experience there isn't perfect. Right? That I think it's, it's easy to say that a lot of us, we go through seasons of disillusionment with the local church where it just seems like it's broken, right? It seems like it's not what it's supposed to be. Something about it just seems off, right? And our feelings about it can sometimes be very similar to the way the people in this passage feel about the temple, where they're not excited about it, right? They look at it, they think about it, and they just feel deflated. And it's, I believe it's true to say that many have actually walked away from the church because of that experience, because of that disillusionment. 
And what's great about this passage is that it actually acknowledges that reality, that there are times where the church feels just a little bit like this rebuilt temple, right? Just like some shoddy structure, like some weak community of people that's really nothing to write home about, right? It's nothing special. But the message here is that the future is one of hope, right? That no matter what things look like today, the future is bright and it has good things in it. And so the point is that when we look at our current experience of the church and feel that sense of disillusionment with it, what we need to do is remind ourselves of where the church is going and remind ourselves of what the church one day will be. Because the truth is the latter days will have more glory than the former. In the days to come, we'll have more glory than the ones that we're in now. And while at times the church may seem broken and it may seem all kinds of wrong, the truth is the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come and the future is bright and it is glorious. And so I do hope that you enjoy the church today, especially because most people listening to this podcast, you attend the church that I'm a pastor at. And so I do hope that you enjoy the church today, no matter how lacking in glory it may be. But also, I think we all need to recognize that the day is coming when it will overflow with glory. And people from all nations will gather because of it. And God will grant peace to people through it. He will bring about flourishing through it. And no matter how ugly and unimpressive its worst day is now, one day the church will be beautiful and it will be glorious. And so the point is, don't wait until then to be a part of it. And don't let the the disillusionment or the lackluster feeling and experience of today get you down and cause you to drop out. The future is one of hope and it is bright, but you don't have to wait until then to be a part of it. Be a part of the church today and look forward to tomorrow. Thanks for listening. I hope you're doing well. We'll be back on Wednesday with another short devotional. So stay tuned.